Welcome to the Side Hustle Project, a podcast where we explore the nitty-gritty details behind what it takes to start and grow a profitable side hustle. I'm your host, Ryan Robinson. In this podcast, I'm bringing you interviews with entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, CEOs, investors, and people just like you who are building and profiting from interesting side hustles. In today's episode, we're talking to Nathan Barry, the founder and CEO of ConvertKit, an email marketing suite of tools for professional bloggers that originally started as a side project. Nathan is a man of many talents. He's launched products, built iPhone apps, grown audiences, written books, and designed websites. Now, Nathan dedicates all of his time to growing ConvertKit, which recently passed the $900,000 in monthly recurring revenue mark. And he somehow actually finds time to still travel, to speak, and write about all things marketing. Today's interview is another that I originally did for the Inside Sales Summit a few months back, the online event I co-hosted with Close.io, the inside sales CRM of choice for startups. And we had over 8,000 people join us to learn all things sales, from speakers like Chase Jarvis to Vanessa Van Edwards, Heaton Shaw, Neil Patel, Noah Kagan, and more. So if you like what you hear today and you want to keep this fun going, regardless of what your side project is, then check out the other 54 interviews just like this over at InsideSalesSummit.com. But for today, we're here with Nathan Barry. In this episode, Nathan and I talk about how he brought on his very first customers with ConvertKit, including some incredible step-by-step advice about how to pick a well-defined niche for your idea and start the process of eventually becoming the go-to resource in that space. We dive into the biggest mistakes Nathan has made growing his startup and his advice for those working to build a software-as-a-service business on the side of their day jobs. We cover how ConvertKit has leveraged partnerships with influencers like Tim Ferriss and Pat Flynn to significantly grow their customer base and how they structure those deals behind the scenes to make sure those influencers want to promote and incentivize them properly. We talk about building an inbound marketing funnel that drives tons of signups to your product and so much more. As always, you can find everything we mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at ryrob.com slash podcast. That's spelled R-Y-R-O-B dot com slash podcast. Let's get into today's interview with Nathan Barry. Nathan, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. So digging into the early days with ConvertKit, do you remember who your first big client was? Kind of like that that first influencer or company that you closed and felt like, yeah, I might really be onto something. So the first one, like really early on, was this, this guy who now is a really good friend of mine. His name's Joel Runyon. And he ran this website called Ultimate Paleo Guide, which was this big uh, paleo recipe blog. I think at the time it had like 100,000 email subscribers. And there was a time when he came on that I think something like 25% of all of our revenue was his account. Wow. Like he single-handedly took us from like, I don't know, something like 2000 a month to 3000 a month. Or like, it was something like that. <laughs> um, and so he was, that was the first big win because in those early days, I'd have a conversation with someone and then it'd be like, I've got 10,000 subscribers. Can you even handle a list my size? And like... <laughs> You know, maybe the early on would be like, well, we've got this other guy who's got 15,000. So I mean, yeah, it should work. But then be like, yeah, well, yeah, we've got customers that have 100,000 subscribers. Like, you'll be fine. <laughs> Do you remember how you originally got in touch with him? Yeah, uh, we had met at a conference, um, maybe the previous summer. And then once we narrowed down our focus, instead of being email marketing for everybody, once we narrowed down to bloggers, and I was like, okay, what, which bloggers do I know? And I made a list of them and then re- emailed, reached out to them and went from there. 
Um, so that was kind of the, that was the early days. That was a big, a big milestone for the company. Another big one would be um, maybe a six months later, we were sitting uh, at about 10,000 a month in revenue. Um, and we landed Pat Flynn, uh, who runs Smart Passive Income, which is a popular podcast and website. Um, and that was like the first influencer that a lot of people would have heard of. Um, and that was, uh, that was a big turning point. Like once he started promoting uh, months later, like we start, we went from like adding a couple thousand in revenue a month to adding 10,000 in revenue a month, you know, and up from there. Yeah. And I'm actually really glad you mentioned that because, you know, you guys have been growing a ton over the past couple of years. I've seen how good you are with partnerships with people like mm-hmm. Pat Flynn, even like brands like Teachable, you've done some collaboration stuff with. What kind of ROI do you guys see on partnerships like this? Yeah. I'm never good at calculating ROI, um, but we have an affiliate program. And so that makes it easy for us to track everything through it. So one advantage of selling into like the blogging space versus say, um, you know, enterprise sales or even just small business is that we get to play in this affiliate world because bloggers are used to uh, affiliate programs. And so with that, we pay out a 30% monthly recurring commission. And so because of that, we don't have to shell out a lot of money up front and we just pay the affiliate when we get paid by the customer. And that works really well. Um, and so now at this time, we're at 800000 a month in revenue. Um, and we run about a hundred thousand or we pay about a hundred thousand a month out to our affiliates. Um, and so it's a big channel for us. Yeah. That's really big. Would that be your biggest acquisition channel? Yeah. By, by quite a bit. Um, and you guys have also been hiring a sales team or building a sales team rather, right? Yes. Yeah. Sales has been pretty key to our success kind of all the way through. Um, and it started when, when we really focused down on email marketing for professional bloggers, because then at that point we were able to go after, like make lists of who to go after a target. And then I could email them and say, Hey, I see that you're using MailChimp. Is there anything frustrating you? Uh, the reason I ask is, you know, I'd probably be like, uh, you know, I'm, I run ConvertKit, which is used by, you know, and I name dropped the biggest, most relevant name possible, which early on wasn't probably anyone. Um, and then, you know, kind of go from there. Um, and people would respond with, oh, well, actually, I love MailChimp, but it really frustrates me that I can't tag my customers or I can't, you know, I have duplicate subscribers across the list and they're double billing me for that. And that is super frustrating. And I'm like, oh, funny you mentioned that because I use MailChimp and that was incredibly frustrating for me. And that's why I built ConvertKit to solve these things. So, you know, can we get on a call so I can show it to you? Um, and with that, we'd go after these, like a, People would think that email marketing for professional bloggers is a really small niche, but we take it so much more small and obscure than that. So we would do things like, okay, let's go after all the, let's do email marketing for professional paleo recipe bloggers who are women. Because now all of a sudden you can start to list them out, right? I can make a list of all those people. I can't list all of the professional bloggers in the world. There's too many of them. How would I even begin to do that? But I can, make, I can make that list and then I can make the uh, men's fashion bloggers in New York list. And then I can make, the, you know, uh, I can make all of those small lists. And then what happens is, you know, we mentioned Joel Runyon to start with the Ultimate Paleo Guide website. Well, guess what? When I go to those paleo recipe bloggers, I don't, it doesn't matter that I don't have a Pat Flynn or a Tim Ferriss or some big name to drop 
Cause I get to drop someone a name of someone who they know cause it's in their little industry. And so that works way better because then I'm just like, Hey, this guy that, you know, he's using us. And so I t- would tend to find these tiny micro industries or micro niches um, based on who, which customers we already had that were successful. So if we got a random blogger in the door, like I mentioned men's fashion bloggers, we had a men's fashion blogger who was using us. And so I was like, I bet there are more people in his industry. And so then I could reach out to that all like make those lists and be like, Hey, does anything frustrate you with MailChimp? The reason I ask is we're on ConvertKit's email marketing for professional bloggers used by effortlessgen.com, you know, these other sites. Um, and so it makes the pitch a lot more uh, targeted and tends to work really well. Yeah, I like that. That's, that's really smart. That's a great way to think about the outreach. Is this still like the same process that your sales team is using now? Because I'm assuming you're not the one sending these individual emails anymore yourself. You know, I still send some. Um, and, and that's just because it's fun. And as I browse Twitter, like someone shares something and then I'm like, oh, this is an interesting blog. What are they using for email? MailChimp? What are they doing? Like, come on. <laughs> and so then I send them an email and it'll either be like a get to know you email. Like, hey, like a, there was a financial blog yesterday where I was reading that and I was like, hey, are you going to be at FinCon in Dallas in next month? Because um, I'll be speaking there. Um, and, uh, you know, and they're like, yeah, that'd be great. And now that's me leading into like, they're going to become a customer. They don't know it yet. And so I'm like taking that approach because we have this thing in common or I'll take the approach of, Hey, is anything frustrating you with MailChimp? Like there's an author that I, who just emailed me back right before we got on this call. Um, and I'd emailed him like two months ago cause he's a pretty well-known author. And it's just like, Hey, here's a friend we have in common, you know, but like, um, and I can name drop some pretty relevant names now. So that, that certainly helps. But, um, uh, you know, still doing that, that kind of direct outreach. So I probably reach out to maybe 20 people a week. still. Yeah, that's really sizable. Um, what kind of like prospecting techniques does your sales team take into account? Is this sort of like the same process and then maybe leveraging you and some of your relationships too, or do they have like other tactics that are working well? They have their own tactics. Um, though they still do a lot of similar stuff of going, uh, industry by industry. Um, they do a lot more inbound sales. Um, now that we have more of that, though we still don't have enough volume to keep our sales team busy just based on inbound, which is probably a problem that many people have. I have someone who's just like, yeah, hire more salespeople. And I'm like, well, where are you getting all your leads? And he's like, oh, it's all pure inbound, like just so much nonstop inbound. And I was like, yeah, we don't have that problem. <laughs> so we have to find a mix of like, um, like the more outbound sales we do, we find that we'll get more influential, bigger names. Um, sometimes big names will come in where we'll be like, whoa, random person signed up. Did you talk to them? No. Did you? No. Okay. Well, they, they're like, they're a New York Times bestseller. Like, you know, it's amazing to have them on board. Um, but more often we hunt people down and recruit them. And then that helps, you know, as people find out that that person is using ConvertKit, then it, helps refer out to other people. Um, so we tend to collect leads in two different ways. Um, or maybe, I guess three. There's inbound, which we have our blog. We have a good amount of inbound traffic, so that helps. 
Um, the second would be prospecting based on what, um, what tool you're using. So, hey, let me use built with or nudity data to scrape the web and give me everyone who's using Infusionsoft and lead pages together because maybe that says that like you're in the content marketing space. Because like just Infusionsoft and you might be in um, using it more as a CRM or some other stuff. But if I combine these tools, you're probably a good fit for us. And then let's sort that by Alexa ranking because I want some proxy for traffic because I can't be like sort by email list size. Um, but generally speaking, if you had, uh, if you have traffic, then you probably have the ability to grow an email list. And at least I can start at the top and work down. So we do that. Um, it's moderately successful. Uh, and then the other way that we go about it is that industry by industry where we might look at our customers and say, okay, how do we find 20 more customers that are like this person? This person's got 50,000 subscribers. Um, they've been great to deal with, you know, like they're a nice person. They send quality content. Like this is a good little industry. Let's try to find 20 more like them. And the way we go about that, you know, I might Google paleo recipe blogs, paleo recipes, you know, a bunch of terms like that, and then pull all of those sites over into a spreadsheet and then run through Well, we used to run through it manually. Now we just send it through a script uh, it was built with that will then return what tools they're using. Um, so be like MailChimp, MailChimp, Aweber, Infusionsoft, you know, MailChimp. Um, go down that list. And then, you know, just a lot of manual prospecting of, okay, who do these people follow? Oh, they have a podcast? Cool. Who are the last, like, who are all the relevant guests on their podcast? And you just kind of build out from there and you end up creating these little maps of the internet of, and then you get to carve out this little echo chamber. Because the other thing that happens, and this is probably the most important thing with, um, with going after these little niches is the echo chamber that happens. So I remember talking to someone in the fitness space. She ran a high-intensity like interval training fitness website. And she's like, yeah, I feel like everyone on the entire internet is switching to ConvertKit. And at the time we had like maybe six or 8,000 in MRR. And so like clearly not everyone on the entire internet is switching to ConvertKit because there's like a couple hundred customers. Um, but she said that and I was like, well, first I was like, yeah, yeah. I mean, we're growing fast, like obviously. <laughs> but I was thinking about it and really it was everyone in her little network was because all these bloggers know each other. They're all friends with each other. And so I just happened to talk to her and her 20 friends in the fitness blogging space at the same time. And one of them had already switched. Four of them were thinking like strongly considering switching. Another was like, yeah, I've been, I've heard of ConvertKit. And all of a sudden we went from being completely obscure to everyone was knew about it and in their little mastermind groups, it was coming up and all this stuff. And it felt like everyone on the entire internet is switching, but really I just drew this little artificial box around them and then made a big echo chamber and it works really, really well. And so with, with this tactic of, you know, basically like scraping who's using competitor tools um, and in a space where there's at least a perceived high switching cost, maybe the switching cost isn't really that high in terms of time or money, but the perception can be pretty high. And how do you go about building sort of like your value propositions, convincing them to actually 
make the switch from a competitor to you guys? Like what is, what is the strongest proposition? Yeah. Um, so I like to, I don't like to lead with this. Um, I like to lead with the value of the product and why you should use this tool. You know, why you should use ConvertKit over MailChimp. Here's how to help you long-term. Here's how it can drive more sales, all that kind of stuff. And then they inevitably come back with, that sounds amazing, but it's too much work to switch, so I'm not going to. Sorry. Like, I like you. Um, I'm not going to switch. It's too much work. And I like to wait until they like hang all of their objections on this, right? Cause if you're having a call, like we're having a call now and I'm like, Hey, will you buy this thing? You have to give me a reason that you're not going to, you're socially obligated to, you can't just reach over and click the leave meeting button. Like you're like, this is awkward. Like, let me just hang up. <laughs> you know, you can pretend like, Oh, my internet connection's going, you know, you've got to at least do something. <laughs> um, and so I like to, wait until people bring up that objection and that's the one that they're going to go with. Like I have to give you a reason. This is the reason I'm going to give you. It's too much work to switch. And so then I go, okay, like I've tried so much to convince people. Ah, it's not that much work. We've got this documentation. Like you just do this and then, you know, FTP in and like copy and paste everything and download it. That doesn't convince people. What convinces people is saying, okay, that's totally fair. Tell you what, I will do the entire migration for you for free. And they're like, uh, really? Okay. And like, if you remember, they just hung all of their objections. There might be a dozen good reasons that they don't want to switch or shouldn't or all of that. But they just, they gave you one because it's not productive to give you all a dozen of them. They gave you one and it was, it's too much work to switch. And so then what we're able to do by removing that, then, okay, all right, let's do it. Um, and so then when that happens, um, you're able to close a lot more sales. And so we call that concierge migrations. And so basically we have two people on our team now. All they do is, uh, you know, get on a call with someone and say, okay, you're moving over. Like, let's get access to your MailChimp account. Let's get access, FTP access to your site. Cool. We'll swap over all of your forms, export all the content, import, do everything with your subscribers and then get on a call with you afterwards to be like, okay, um, now that that's all done, let's make sure you know how to do your regular workflow that you did before in MailChimp. Now that you know how to do it and convert it, let's hold your hand through it. So you feel really comfortable and they'll check in again at 30 days. And again, later at 60 days to make sure that everything's all good. Mm-hmm. And it works so well. Our churn rate is like, I can look it up. It's like five and a half percent. Um, normally 5.2. Yes. Um, And uh, uh, the churn rate on our uh, concierge migrations is under a percent. So it's like, I mean, you're basically uh, eliminating the biggest barrier they have. Right. Yeah. Oh, it works so well. So on the flip side of this, with all the work you do, I know you get sold and pitched very, very frequently. And I was actually reading something about this on your blog recently. Um, what do you feel like is the biggest mistake people make or even maybe like misunderstanding that people make when they're trying to sell? Yeah. So first they don't sell things that are relevant. They're just like, um, yeah, I don't know, using a spray and pray approach of just like, Hey, I have this tool. I needed to load it up with email addresses and your email address happened to be one of them. 
Um, that'd be the first one. So everything that we do is pretty personalized. And so, cause I'm even thinking about, right. If I'm pitching that paleo recipe blogger, I'm thinking about the most relevant customers to mention in my email. I'm not mentioning the biggest names. I might sneak one of them in there, but if I'm going to mention three people. One might be a big name customer and the other two would be the most relevant customers I can think of. So already like we're at a different level of like, I'm hitting send on every single email. Um, I also follow people on Twitter and interact with them online. Um, and I was talking to another friend, uh, Sujin Patel, who he, he runs Mailshake and um, a bunch of other products. He was talking about how he ran a study on this and uh, he found that he would get a 30% higher reply rate if he had interacted with the person on um, social before sending the email. So he would follow them, favorite some stuff, maybe something like that. And then a day or two later, you know, maybe visit their LinkedIn profile and then a day or two later, send out an email and uh, he, he would get a 30% higher reply rate. And he tested this over some absurd number of emails, many thousands of emails. The guy's insane um, in a good way. Um, so what I'll do is I'll follow someone on Twitter, right? I might comment on their blog. My first email to them might be, um, Hey, are you going to be at this conference or, um, you know, like I'm going to take a longer term approach to it. And if they're a big name, then I'm going to show up in their city and be like, Hey, I'm going to be in New York in two weeks. Can we get dinner? Um, and to try to elevate from that crowd because there's just so many, um, other mistakes. One that upsets me probably the most is the, uh, like, um, like, did you get eaten by a wild animal? Like, cause that's the only reason I'm just looking at my desk. My kids left. I, I have wild animals on my desk. Um, you know, so it's like, did you get eaten by a lion? You know, that's the only reason that you could possibly not respond to my email because I'm the most interesting person on the internet. Like, come on. And it's just like that script may have worked at some point. It probably still does work but I get that email so often. I probably get that like the breakup email uh, in some obnoxious way, like twice a day now. Um, and so it's just like, stop, be human. Don't just be following your script and firing off mass emails, like connect with people. Um, and if one channel doesn't work, do it on another channel, like actually engage with their content. Um, I get these emails from venture capitalists all the time, right? Cause they're trying to invest and there's some associate at some VC firm that their job is to reach out to all these growing SaaS companies. And like the ones that I've gotten on calls with are the ones I'm giving away how to get on a call with me. Um, <laughs> but they're the ones that clearly are interested in the company much more than just I'm sending some emails you know, and so they're the ones who have probably commented on blog posts and who have probably engaged on social and actually are following the story and have been for a while rather than just someone handed me a list with your name on it. And here I am emailing you until you click the spam button. So I think I might know the answer to this next question, but aside from Pat Flynn, what has been the most important deal you've ever closed with ConvertKit? Uh, Okay. Aside from Pat it'd be Tim Ferriss. Um, so, and we're only like in the last three or four months able to start talking about that one, but he's, but he's been on the platform for about, uh, I guess eight months now or, or more nine months. 
So that's pretty fun. How did that conversation get started? It was like a year and a half in the making. <laughs> um, uh, I'd actually met Tim at a conference and then later uh, someone introduced us. Okay, this is a, a interesting sales technique that I actually use a lot. Um, if you're trying to get a big name influencer to do something, like who do you think you go to on that? Because it's not the influencer. Once you learn that it's the right-hand guy, the guy behind the scenes who people don't even know his name, and that's the one that you convince, like life gets so much easier. Um, getting time with Tim is really, really difficult. Obviously, everyone wants to do that. But he has some great people on his team, and you go and figure out um, who they are, where they live. Maybe you show up in their city, take them out to coffee, get to know them over a period of time, attend their conferences, you know, all this stuff, then you realize like the influencer ultimately has to sign off on the deal, right? But if you have someone internally lobbying for it, that makes all the difference. And they're the ones who are going to use your tool every day. So once I learned that, then the process got a lot easier. And so now um, I try to avoid, I try to build enough of a connection with the, with the big name person so that they knew who we are. And they're like, Oh yeah, cool. I've heard about them on, on social, or I have these other friends that use them. Like, that's great. Um, but then I try to think, okay, who's the one running it behind the scenes? Um, often a lot of these larger blogs and businesses are run by multiple people. And, uh, one of them is very public and super hard to get a hold of. And the other is their job is to handle all things business. And so they're usually very responsive and, very easy to get a hold of. Um, and so the battle at that point just becomes finding out who, uh, who's that person behind the scenes. So you don't even have to use Tim as the example for this, but how do you figure out who that behind the scenes person is? Yeah. Um, let's see. So they'll often talk about them. Um, or in some of these cases they use, a, they might use an odd company name. Um, so it's a mix because we've done this with probably half a dozen big name people. Um, so if it's a bigger company, then that person is going to be a, uh, depending on the size, they're going to have a title of like director of something or COO or something like that. Um, I start to ask around and I'm trying to think of a few of these different examples. It came from asking questions of like who runs this behind the scenes. You can also just send an email directly and be like, Hey, who's the best person? Right. I'm trying to think what book is uh, sales book. Uh, the guys who run the Saster conference, Jason Lumpkin and um, Aaron Ross, Aaron Ross. So Aaron Ross talks about, right. His first email is just Hey, who's the right person to talk to? Cause he's just, and then, um, like everyone is very happy to get an email out of their inbox. And so it's just like, Hey, who's the person that I should talk to about, about this, about, you know, who, who runs your email, you know, that kind of thing. And you're like, Oh, well I, I don't do it. Like I'm the famous author or I'm the um, musician or whatever else, but here's my manager. Here's, um, here's my business partner. Here's whoever else. Um, Sometimes you can find it on LinkedIn. I'm thinking of a few different blogs where, um, you know, if you click on the company, you're like, oh, this company only has five employees on LinkedIn. Like, 
pretty easy to tell. Like there's the one that I've heard of. There's clearly the assistant and the designer and like this other person, you know, who like heads up biz dev and operations. Like, yeah, look for titles like operations and stuff like that. What's been the most difficult negotiation you've ever been a part of? And it doesn't necessarily need to be with ConvertKit. Oh, negotiating is really fun. Um, I really enjoy it. Uh, I don't know. There haven't been that many difficult ones. Um, maybe instead I'll share a t- uh, technique that I use for salary negotiations. Yeah. And that's that I don't ever negotiate salaries. And everyone who works with me knows this. Um, which that in itself is a negotiation move, right? So just saying that I don't negotiate salaries, like anyone who understands negotiation knows that that's negotiation. Um, and so when it comes to uh, people signing up for ConvertKit, everyone pays full price. There are no special deals. And that's super helpful because especially if you're dealing with like influencers, they're used to getting special deals. And so if you gave all influencers special deals, like, all of our customers' influences, that would probably not work out work out well. Um, but on the salary side of things, or like hiring employees, what I do is if I was thinking like, okay, I'm going to hire you, uh, and I think $70,000 is a fair price, and that's what I'm offering for the position based on your experience, we're here at $70,000. If I'm going to negotiate, and I want to pay you $70,000, then I'm going to offer you sixty five dollars right, to start. And then you're going to come back and be like, I don't know, 70,000 sounds fair. So how about 75? And then we'll eventually through this whole process probably come back to 70,000. And so what I do is I just say, look, to save everyone's time, to, like I value your time and I especially value my time. And so I don't ever negotiate. And so instead of offering that 65, I'm just going to come right out and like make the best offer that I can make and like negotiate against myself uh, and offer 75 and say, I do not negotiate. Take it or leave it. And people are like, okay, cool. So how about 75? And I'm like, I, I know you didn't believe me when I said it's 70, you know, and I don't negotiate. And people will kind of come back and forth a little bit, but I just stay totally strong on it. And um, it works super well. Um, and it kind of bypasses that whole process. And I always end up paying the amount that I want to pay, but also what I think is fair. Um, and so I just always do that of like drawing these firm lines in the sand and everyone always like everyone always tests them. It's like, yeah, 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 you say that. But like, I was like, don't really ask anybody. I don't, <laughs> I don't negotiate that way. And so it, uh, it works well. All right, Nathan. Well, this is my last question for you. What's been the best investment you've ever made in the terms of building your selling skills? And this could be in the form of time, money, tools, mm-hmm. education, or otherwise. The best investment. Um, I'm trying to think of something that's not just like get out and do it and start doing it. Um, I mean, really once, once those initial sales started to come in, like then it becomes pretty addictive and it's easy to overcome like the fear of cold emails and cold calls and stuff like that. Um, Cause once you get results and it's just like, you know what, that's worth it. Um, I think something that probably helped a lot is, and this isn't an investment that you'd go out and do in the traditional way. Uh, but I did theater in high school and like a few different theater productions. And that helped take me from like a super shy, not talk to anyone kid to like, I still don't want to, but I have this ability 
to like, uh, I don't know, you know, turn on that performance, you know, side of me that I've worked on. And then I can use that to get out there and sell or, um, talk to people at conferences or, or that kind of thing. So that's probably had a pretty formative, uh, impact for me. I love that. All right, Nathan. Well, thank you for joining us. Can you tell everyone viewing today where they can go to learn more about you and ConvertKit, everything you guys are up to? Yeah. So my blog is at nathanberry.com. Uh, Barry's with an A. And uh, I have a bunch of posts on growing ConvertKit and uh, posts on sales and some other stuff. Um, and then ConvertKit's just at convertkit.com. And uh, as you alluded to <laughs> earlier, uh, our metrics are also totally public. So if you ever are curious about the numbers behind a SaaS business, go to convertkit.bearmetrics.com. All right. Thanks again for being here. If you enjoyed this episode of the Side Hustle Project, I would love your support. Head on over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating. And as always, you can catch every episode of the Side Hustle Project on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. 